0: I'd like to thank the Reverend McKee for the kind words of welcome. I'd like to thank him for reading God's Word to us. He couldn't have known when he chose that portion at the start of the service that I felt the Lord leading me to speak upon 1 Peter chapter 5. So if you turn to that place in your Bible, please, 1 Peter and chapter 5. I'd like to thank the Reverend McKee for the kind invitation to come to the service tonight. It's a joy to be here. Believe it or not, I was trying to work it out for myself. It's actually 35 years from I was here doing some visitation amongst the congregation. 35 years, and it just struck me, that's half a lifetime. That's so how long ago it is. And if you folk are willing to say, I don't look a day older, then I'll say the same about you, and we'll all be very happy about that. <laughs> However, it's not likely. It's not likely. Anyway, we come to the Word. Let's pray before we consider what is taught in the first four verses of First Peter chapter 5. Father in heaven, we thank thee once again for the privilege that is ours to be here. We praise thee that many of us can say we are in Christ. We're under the blood of Christ. We belong to Christ. We're part of Christ's church here upon earth. And one day, those who are saved will be part of that church in glory. We thank thee for the prospect that awaits the Christian. But until that time, Lord, I pray that each one of us will be faithful, faithful to our Savior, and faithful to His calling, whatever that calling is, whatever work He wants us to do, whether it's to be a pastor, an elder, a committee man, a Sunday school teacher, a children's worker, a prayer warrior in the pew, whatever God wants us to do, may we all be willing to do it and carry out the will of God. So, gracious Father, be with us now as we study the Scriptures. May this word be in season. A word from thyself to all of our hearts. Back at home by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. At a service like this, our thoughts are obviously upon the subject of elders in the church. Specifically, upon the idea of the type of man that the elders ought to be, and the manner in which they should fulfill their God-given roles. Peter here begins this section of Scripture by giving a word of exhortation to the elders. That's exactly what he says. Look at verse 1. "'The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed.'" Now the Greek word here for elder is presbyteros, it is literally this, it means a presbyter. That word elder is also translated in the New Testament shepherd, pastor, overseer, and even bishop. This word elder emphasizes the spiritual maturity of the person involved. In almost every case where Peter uses this word, almost he uses it in the plural, emphasizing and indicating that a plurality of godly men is the norm, and that's how the church is to be governed. The persons to whom this exhortation is given is the presbyters, the pastors, the spiritual guides of the church, elders, people who have an office. It's emphasizing the office and the work not necessarily their age. But Peter says here in verse 1, as he exhorts the elders, he says, "'Who am also an elder?' He identifies with the elders in the church, because that word elder there in verse 1 can also be translated a fellow presbyter. It occurs nowhere else, that one, in the New Testament. Peter doesn't exhort them or seek to pressurize them, or persuade them to do certain things by saying, I'm Peter, I'm the leader of the church, or I'm Christ's vicar on earth, and therefore because of my position you ought to do what I say. He doesn't do that. If he was the first pope, as Rome claims, then he would have used his position, his preeminence, and his power to say, you've got to do what I say because I am who I am. But he doesn't do that. Why? Because he doesn't hold that office that Roman claims that he held. He's not the first pope, as Roman claims. He says, I am equal with you elders. I am on the same level as you. I'm a fellow elder in the church. He says, I am also an elder. He identifies with the other elders and says, I'm just like you. Additional to being an elder, Peter was something else— he says in this portion, he was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He was with Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was with the Lord when he was apprehended. He was with him in the high priest's hall. Peter was a witness of the sufferings of Christ when the Lord was tried. Of course, he denied the Lord and then went out and wept bitterly. We believe that he eventually followed the Lord to Calvary, where he was crucified. I know the Bible doesn't say specifically Peter was there. It doesn't actually say that. It's not expressly taught. But we read in Luke 23, 49, And all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding these things, all his acquaintance. And could I suggest to you that Peter, this elder in the church, also saw Christ die on the cross. We think that is backed up by Acts 3 and 15, where it says, "'And killed the Prince of life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses.'" It was Peter who said that. He said, "'We are witnesses. We have witnessed the death of Christ. We have witnessed the risen Christ.'" This man was an elder, He saw the sufferings of the Savior. And he goes on to say something else about himself. He says there in verse 1, "'And also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed.'" Now, what was he referring to there? He says, "'I'm a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed.'" The glory of God. When did he partake of that? When did he see that? The transfiguration. He saw the glory of God. And he says here, "'There's a reward for those who serve the Lord.'" And I've already got a glimpse of it. And I know what it is the glory of the the Lord. And he was looking forward to that. An elder who knows about the sufferings of Christ, who has seen the glory of God, and he's looking forward to heaven. This is the man that's speaking to us from this portion of scripture that God has inspired to write these words. He's telling the elders I'm one of you, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ, I've witnessed his glory. I'm looking forward to being with him. You know, Peter did not elevate himself above the other elders. That's important. He called himself a fellow elder. He deliberately included himself among the church leaders that he was exhorting. There was a time, you know, when Peter would have worried about position, prominence. He was looking for a bit of glory for himself, but not anymore. Why is that? He's growing in grace. He's maturing. He's not interested in who's first and who's last. Oh, no, now he's just a fellow elder, a servant of God. He knew that the elders, due to the fact that they were now leaders, would be to the forefront in the battle and would therefore have difficulties and problems to face. He seeks to encourage them. He reminds them that Christ had suffered for them and that Christ would sustain them. And brothers and sisters, that is true. The suffering Christ sustains his people. He also reminds these people that glory follows suffering. We have to suffer sometimes, but God comes and gives us glorious times as well. And with all of this in mind, he says, I want to exhort the elders. I want to speak to you. I'm just like you, I'm one of you. I love the Lord. You love the Lord. And then he decides, I must exhort you in your service. And that's what I want to think about tonight. First of all, he exhorts them with regard to the work that has to be done. There's a work to be done. Look at verse 2. What is this work? He says, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre." But of a ready mind. This is the work that has to be done. Now, there are two aspects to the work that the elders must do. They must protect the flock, and they must feed the flock. Protect it and feed it. Protecting, first of all. Verse 2 says, "...taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind." The Greek word translated oversight here is only used on one other occasion in the New Testament. Right? So, we have oversight here. It's used on one other occasion, this word. Let me read it to you and think of the words, looking diligently. Hebrews 12:15, looking diligently, lest any man feel of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. So, folks, Taking the oversight and looking diligently are the same in the Greek. And they speak of carrying out one's duties thoroughly. That's what it means. Look diligently to this work. Take the oversight. Do it diligently. In the same way that the shepherd would look after his sheep, you look after the church. The shepherd doesn't carelessly neglect the sheep. No, he looks after them. He protects them. He watches out for them to ensure that they're safe. If any break out and wander off, what does the shepherd do? He seeks their recovery because he's out to protect them. And that's just like the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what he taught. Matthew 18, 11 and 12, For the Son of Man is come, to save that which was lost. How think ye, if a man have an hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? The shepherd, the elder, has to protect the flock, look out for them, go after the ones that go astray. That's what it is to be set apart, to oversee, and diligently look after the flock in Macrefield. You are to care for the Lord's people here, and do your best to protect them. The manner in which you are to take on this role and carry out this duty is outlined in the words of verse 2, where it says, "'Taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly.'" You're not to enter this service as if some yoke had been laid upon you that you would gladly cast off at the first opportunity. No, you're to cheerfully engage in the work of eldership. Do it because you love it. It'll be a difficult work at times, and yet there's no work on earth like it. Labor cheerfully. Labor cheerfully. Verse 2, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. You're to be ready to undertake this work, not because you can personally profit from it, but because you love the Lord, because you love the people of God, because you love the work of God. You have a ready mind to do this. Serve as an elder because you love the Savior. We read in Acts 20 and 28. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. What you've witnessed tonight is a service where God the Holy Ghost has made these two brethren overseers of this flock, along with the other elders already ordained to this work here. But if you pay attention to Acts twenty twenty eight, it says, "'Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock.'" Pay attention to your own walk with God. That's something every Christian should do. Pay attention to your own walk. Take heed to yourselves. And then the elders are to pay attention to all the flock. Look after them as well. Look after yourselves spiritually. Look after the people spiritually. Every person in the church counts. Do you notice what it says there in Acts 20? and to all the flock. Not just to some. To all of them. Brethren, you have to take care of those who are spiritual. And there'll be those in the church, maybe not so spiritual. You have to take care of them all. The rich and the poor. Never think we'll look after those are prosperous and forget about those who are not. Take heed to all the flock. There'll be those in the church who are easygoing, and there'll be those who'll be, let's say, more challenging. That's the most gracious way I can put it. But you have to take care of all of the flock. That's what God says. Protect them all. But not only is the work a work of protecting the flock, it's a work of feeding the flock. Look at verse 2. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Feed the flock of God. You know, shepherds must ensure that the flocks are fed. Isn't that right? You have to take care of the animals, they have to be fed. And shepherds have to guide them to green pastures, otherwise, they'll starve. They have to be fed. The teaching elder, of course, is responsible for the public ministry. The teaching elder here in this church is the Reverend McKee. He's responsible primarily for the teaching of the Word in the church. But the ruling elders may have some limited role as well in teaching. Possibly a Sunday school class or Bible class, youth fellowship, prayer meeting from time to time, possibly. But you know something, folks, there's a sense in which the ruling elder has a full time-feeding, teaching role. You say, what is that? I thought that was Reverend McKee. It is. But there's a sense in which the ruling elder has to do that as well. I'm referring to his ruling and his teaching by example. By example. The flock will watch the walk and the talk and the general behavior of the elder— And we read in 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Be an example. And every elder can have a teaching ministry in this area. Teach people by your example, by the way you live, the way you walk with God, your commitment to Christ and your commitment to the work and your commitment to the people, to the flock. Be committed to them. And that will teach them that you love them and you need to reflect the love of Christ as you labor among the people. There's a work to be done. Let me move on quickly to the way to do it. Look at verse 3. Here's the way to do this work. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. Now take careful note of the fact that the church is God's heritage. It is His property. The church belongs to Christ. The redeemed belong to the one who redeemed them with His own blood. The church has been bought with a price, the blood of the Lamb. All elders need to remember that the flock is not theirs, it is the Lord's. It's the Lord's flock. The Lord has entrusted the care of his church on earth to biblical overseers, the elders. You know, if a member of your family was going away on holiday and that member had a beloved pet, we'll say a dog. And not a real dog. One of those wee tiny things. I wouldn't really call him a dog. You know, I'm talking about one of those wee things that's loved and it's nearly like a child about the house. One of those type of dogs. Not an Alsatian. And that family member's going on holiday and the family member says to you, would you look after the dog for me? And you go, well, okay. You're not that keen, but you'll do it for them. What do you think when you've got that dog for a week or maybe two weeks? Well, I know what you're thinking. I wish they were home. But apart from that, I have to look after it. I have to take care of it. I must make sure it's not malnourished. I must make sure when they come home, they don't think that the wee dog, or the wee pet, the wee dog has failed or anything. You want to look after it, don't you? Take care of it. There's a way to do that. Gotta show love. Gotta care for it. You know, the Lord has entrusted the elder with his flock, with the church that he loves and the church that he died for. He has entrusted the elder with that flock. And it should be the elder's burning desire to lovingly care for and protect God's heritage. That's the role that we have been given, to lovingly protect and care for God's heritage. Now, verse 3 says neither as being lords over God's heritage. If we're going to lovingly care and protect, we must not behave as lords over God's heritage. This is what the elder is not to do. Not to do. In this context, that word lords means to lead by dominating someone or by dominating the situation. That's not how an elder should operate in the church. This statement implies that leadership by manipulation or intimidation is not right. It's not right. We're not to manipulate, and we're not to intimidate. We are to lovingly look after the Lord's heritage, not as being lords over it. The elder, you see, is not to tyrannize by compulsion or coercive force. No, no, no. The elder is not to come up with man-made rules that aren't in the Bible. No, no, no. It's not to do that. You see, some elders might get carried away with their newfound power. Power can corrupt. They might start to behave as if their sole duty is to lay down the law and sort out everybody and everything. Some in the past have behaved like tin-pot dictators. The only ones who know the will of God. And everyone must bow to their diktats. God forbids this type of behavior. Neither as being lords over God's heritage. But verse 3 says, but being in samples to the flock. In samples, there means a model or a pattern. That's what the elder is to be a model. Or a pattern. I was sitting in my study this afternoon and I was going over my notes and so I thought about being an ensample to the flock and just being a model, a model of a Christian man. And a model should be a replica of Christ. I looked up on the top of my um, filing cabinet and there was something there that's very precious to me, very precious. You might laugh when I tell you about it, but I'll tell you what it is. It was bought to me on my 50th birthday by the senior citizens in Tandraghee. And you might say, was it a Bible? Was it, what, what was it? An inscribed pen? No, it's an exact replica of a Honda SP1. It's the last bike that Joyden Lupp uh, won, the Formula One at the TT in the year 2000. The, the elders, or the senior citizens knew that I had a great interest in this. And they bought me this exact replica. And it's still in its box. I'm not taking it out of the box. I'm going to keep it. Maybe in about 200 years' time, it'll be worth money. It, it, it'll be worth something because of the replica that it is. But I looked at it today as I thought, it's a model. And as I looked at it, I could picture... A Honda SP1 sitting, the real thing, because the the model is so close to it. And it just came home to me. As elders, what are we to be? We're to be models of Christ in the church. That when people would look at us, they would say, There's someone, he reflects the grace of God. You can see Christ in him. You can see the resemblance. That's what it is to be an ensample to the flock. Brethren, in the leadership of Christ's church on earth, if you want the flock to obey the Bible, then the elders need to obey the Bible. They have to be the ensample. If you want the people in the church to be more loving, then you've got to be more loving. If you want the folk in the church to be more gracious, you've got to be more gracious. If the elders want the people to be submissive to the session, then the elders must also be submissive to their brethren in the session. Look at how the Lord looks after his flock in Isaiah 40 and 11. I'll read it to you. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. What I read in that verse, I read about him feeding, gathering, carrying, and gently leading. That's a summary of how we are to function as elders in the church of Jesus Christ. Feed the people, gather them, carry them if need be, gently lead them. Don't sit in dictatorship over them. That is not how to lead the flock of God. Incidentally, but very importantly, there is no place for lone rangers on the session of a church. By that I mean men who think that their way is right regardless of what the other session members think. Because unfortunately, I have to tell you, people like that are just arrogant people, not spiritual people, arrogant And they're setting a very bad example to the flock. We're not to be lone rangers. We work together. Work together as brethren. That's how to function in the Kirk session. That's how to function in the church committee. That's how to function in the church. We work together as brethren and sisters who love one another. In a loving family, There are no dictators. Isn't that right? No dictators. The family pulls together, works together, stands together. The Lord's family is to do the same. There's a work to be done. There's a way to do it. And finally, very quickly now, there is a wage for doing the work God's way. There's a payment, a reward, we'll call it. Verse 4, "'And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd of the whole flock and the heritage of God. Hebrews 13 and 20 says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Christ bought us with his blood. He rules over us with His power. He defends us. He saves us. He's the chief shepherd over all inferior shepherds. And we derive our authority from Him. We act in His name, and we're accountable to Him for all that we do. The chief shepherd will appear to judge all ministers and under-shepherds, to call us to account whether we faithfully discharged our duty, both publicly and privately, according to the directions of the Word. We'll give an answer to God for it. We read in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come. Who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. He's coming with a reward for his people, for his servants. But he's also coming back to judge all men. The Christ that I've talked to you about tonight who is the head of the church and the head over the elders and the head over the people the Redeemer he's coming back to judge all men and if you're not saved you're going to hear those words depart from me ye that work iniquity I never knew you it's time you came to Christ he's a wonderful saviour a true friend the great Redeemer you need to know him he's coming back 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Those that are found to have done their duty will get a reward thus greater than any temporal reward, much greater. They're going to receive from the Good Shepherd a high degree of everlasting glory, a crown of glory. That's what it's called here in verse 4, a crown of glory that fadeth not away. You know, back in the New Testament times, crowns were given as marks of victorious achievements. Now, children in school get a wee medal or a wee badge or something, but back then they got crowns. And believers are promised the crown of glory here, the elders, for their work. But they're also promised the crown of life in James 1, the crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy 4, the crown of rejoicing, 1 Thessalonians 2, crowns that do not pass away or perish. What a reward. What a reward. And these crowns all describe certain characteristics of eternity. Glory. Righteousness. Life. Rejoicing. What a day it'll be when we lay aside all the labors of this world and enter into God's rest. You elders have a special work to do from here on in. I trust God will bless the both of you as you do it. Do it heartily. Carry it out graciously. Lead by example. Folks in Macrofield, follow their kind and their gracious and their Christ-like example. And then when we see the Lord, it'll be worth it all. There'll be a few bumps along the way, but when we see the King, what a reward we will receive. I'm glad that Christ is looking after His church. I am glad about that. And He has given you two under shepherds to add to this session to assist here in Macrofield. May God bless this church in the days that lie ahead. Thank you for listening.